1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Today, I talk with John Burton, who has been on and off the entrepreneurial track, but definitely now prefers to be an entrepreneur. John started his career as an electrical engineer and was tapped to run a startup in Ireland, where he learned how to build a company from the ground up. He's founded. And ran several businesses, most recently a fast-growing software services company, which he co-founded with two Apple veterans called UrsaLeo. UrsaLeo comes from the central idea of a company providing a digital twin that allows for virtual monitoring. UrsaLeo is uniquely positioned to help companies manage buildings in the time of social distancing with the use of 3D technologies. John is finding that some companies are eager to use this time to implement new processes and strategies, proving that there may be some hope for a quick rebounding of the economy. John has seen his fair share of dealing with hard times, having had to settle in mediation with a former partner at his old company. He talks candidly about how he handles stress and how yoga and classical guitar are keys to helping him get through his day. Now. Let's get better together. John Burton, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I really really appreciate you taking the time and uh you know, you're another one of the fellow founder network <laughs> folk that I'm trying to get to know. Yep. Um and I'm actually super curious about the company that you're working on because it's got a bunch of 3D, you know, like instrumentation and virtual stuff it just so blew my mind when i was looking up the website i think it's called Leo, which we'll get to in a second about what that means and all that but um kind of before we do that i'd love to hear about your entrepreneur journey and sort of how you got to do what you're doing
2: sure no thanks very much um yeah so i grew up in the uk obviously as you can you can probably gather from my accent um did an electronic engineering degree at the University of Birmingham and went to work for Marconi Radar in the UK and really, really hated it. Now, <laughs> this was back when back when engineering was done in little, those World War II huts, you know, the sort of semicircular huts. Yeah, the Kwanzaa huts, yeah. Kwanzaa huts, yeah, and they were left over from World War II and it, the whole thing was bureaucratic and boring and so didn't really enjoy that. Um, kicked around a couple of other jobs in the UK and then... Um, got the opportunity to go to Ireland and start a company, a fairly large group called Memec. Uh, they're not around it anymore. Um, basically, I was about 26, and they gave me, I think, $500,000, um, sent me to Ireland and told me to start a company, uh, which I did. Um, and it was, you know, it was moderately successful. This was back when Ireland was really booming. It was the Celtic tiger time. So I did that for a few years and really enjoyed it. I mean, it was very, very hard, as anyone who's been an entrepreneur knows. Um Kind of, kind of cashed that in in 98, 99. uh, Moved back to the UK and started working for this big company who had funded me, and they they funded me to you know it was like a skunk works. So they funded it and then they then they bought it. Um, so worked for them for a few years. Moved to the US to San Diego with them. And I'm just not a big company guy. I think that's what I realized once I'd, I'd done the entrepreneur thing and then the big company thing. Um, I'm just not good at office politics. I have a tendency to say what I mean a bit too much. Especially when you go to San Diego and you're on the West Coast. Yes. yes. Um, so I didn't do terribly well as a, as a, you know working inside the big company. Uh, then they got bought out in 2005. So I, I took uh, seven other people from the company. We started another company. That didn't go very well. Um, it sort of fell apart in 2008. Um, but being a glutton for punishment, I went and started another company in 2008. Um, That's
1: a tough that, one. Yeah, 2008. <laughs> yeah. Not a good time to raise money for sure.
2: I, I was raising money. We were actually in the hotel watching the stock market go off a cliff the day before we we did raise some money. Oh, wow. Uh, we didn't we didn't get a very good deal, but we did raise money, which was was the main objective. Um, so that went fairly well, and I sold that in 2011 to a Japanese company. And by that time, I was you know 42, 43. Um, I was, yeah, somewhere around there, and decided that was it. You know, I was done with this entrepreneur thing. It's too hard. I'll just work for these Japanese guys. I was running the Americas, they were paying me well. And did that up until 2016 and just couldn't do it anymore. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I just, one more trip to Japan and one more day of sitting in pointless meetings, listening to boring presentations. I just can't do it. Um, I had a good friend of mine had just left Apple. In, well, she left Apple in 2015, I think. Um, <clears throat> and she was sort of kicking around looking for something to do. So late 2016 I approached her and uh, we started this in in early 2017 that's how we got to got to this company and this this one's going really well Wow. Basis, so
1: that's great no that's really great i mean it sounds like a similar journey to that i have where kicked around on some corporate stuff and then just decided i cannot drink any more bad corporate coffee because it's just right. too much and i i was you know what i had the same i had the same problem you did where i would speak my mind and apparently people don't really like to hear that or but they all have the culture that you know we we encourage complete transparency
2: and openness unless you actually do it at which point we're going to slap you down as hard you know it's so yeah, <laughs> not a big fan of the culture
1: yeah i had a uh, i worked at cypress semiconductor and they oh. had a yeah they had a saying there and it was like we deplore politicians but they never told you the the it what was in quotes but only the bad ones because i was a horrible politician i thought Oh, I just tell the truth what I'm doing. I, I was so naive. I had no idea that that was just sort of bullshit. You know that that really the hierarchy of a company you have to play the political game, even when they okay. say you don't play the political game. And I just remember was that the T.J. Rogers thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. T I <laughs> <laughs> I, I Oh yeah, no, no. He. Uh, I would routinely get yelled at him. He would yell at me. I don't know every month or so. He's he, yelled at me before. I mean, he's yelled at everybody. I, think, I mean, much. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's always like, you know, um, every time anyone like, chew, like quote unquote, chews me out or like it's a little bit heated, and they're like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I was probably a bit offensive." I'm like, "No, <laughs> you have not been yelled at until TJ Rogers looks you in the eye and says so many four letter words that you." You just can't even. You just got to walk out, right? I mean,
2: yeah, that first generation (laughs) semiconductor guys. a bunch of real characters in there.
1: Not even like, yeah, political correctness. You know, soft skills. I mean, they would be like, soft skills. What are you impotent? I mean, that's how they would like think about it. And you know, the the I have this great TJ story where. I was running a project and it was really going awful. And he literally kicked our entire team out and literally said, you have 30 days to live. If you don't fix this problem, I'm going to fire all of you. And there was probably like 50 or 60 of us. And I mean, just devastated. I'm like, oh man, like this, like I am not going to go anywhere. Right. And so the next day he sends an email. He's like, You have 29 more days left. I hope you use your first day wisely. (laughs) Management management by intimidation and fear. I mean, we don't get much of that anymore. No. And so that was the day I realized I'm no longer going to work here. (laughs) I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. And that's a very, uh, there was a lot more four letter acronyms and expletives that I won't get into because this is a kind of a family show, but Oh man. Yeah. (laughs) Corporate is just, I mean, the people that can do it, that can thrive great, but boy, if I had to sit into another root cause corrective action meeting, (laughs) we had to sit there and Pretty much, like, beat each other up on how we screwed up. I'm just like, I'm done. This is no more.
2: Yeah, so. no, I, I, I've I've seen the skill set that survives, and I'm not it.
1: So yeah, me me, neither. me I'm be- neither. I'm
2: better at doing this stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, um, wow. I mean, that's a that's a wow. That's a great kind of intro to uh, kind of like your journey and a lot of the same. You know, I think it's a common thing among entrepreneurs where. It's a sickness. It's definitely <laughs> a sickness. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Uh, so tell us tell us a little bit what Ursa Leo is up to.
2: So, yeah, I, I, um, in, in 2016, I was thinking about leaving uh, Magnica, which was the Japanese company I was with. And I knew Angie Stitcher personally pretty well. Angie was ex-Apple. Uh, she spent 10 years there, ran the core operating system team through the iPhone, launched through iPhone 6, um, and yeah, you know, I got together with her in a front room in, in uh, early 2017, and said, "I'm I'm right on the point of leaving. Um, how about we do something in software? The cloud sounds like it's got a lot of you know a lot of growth. Um, let, let's put a business together that does cloud." Uh, so that that was literally our. We didn't have really an idea at that point. Um, then we started you know poking around, looking what to do. Uh, and I I had quite a good background in IoT, Internet of Things, uh, mostly from the hardware side. So I knew that was a really good growth market. I also knew um, industrial companies really struggled with it because they're not used to doing cloud software type stuff. Um, so we focused on that. And then the third member of the team, Jason Gosnell, joined us, another ex-apple guy, and he really got us focused in on three uh, d three d visualizations and using three-dimensional technology to improve the user interface for the internet of things, which sounds a bit weird esoteric. Uh, but if you think about you know, Computers have gone from point and click to touch screens to voice control. Uh, the industrial world is still very much point and click. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing a lot of human machine interface that, that helps people interact with large amounts of data much more efficiently.
1: Wow, that's yeah. I mean, I I do some IoT stuff through Lab Sensor, and yeah, it's awful. <laughs> All the interfaces are just just crazy crazy bad um yeah especially when you get a few thousand data points flying
2: around and that that's that's where we really start to shine
1: yeah yeah because i mean i guess a lot of people don't know about like an industrial complex the amount of like gauges and dials and things that could go wrong is just i mean it's astronomical uh, yeah. what, what what was sort of the i mean what, what kind of benefit do, do you guys get from like using your platform i mean how how is it like i mean people are gonna need to know i guess a little bit about how like it kind of works because when i looked at the demo online it just blew me away (laughs) and i don't even know what you do (laughs) it was like this is really cool (laughs) um okay
2: i mean i'll I'll
1: stop me if i go too technical but
2: basically uh, we begin by creating a 3d model of what you want to monitor Uh, and that can be a piece of equipment. It can be a facility. Right now, we're very busy in building management because a lot of people are now getting very interested about who's walking into buildings. Are they wearing a mask? um, How many people are in a room? So we we would start by creating a a model of that facility or a model of the piece of equipment. Um, We're actually using gaming technology. So the stuff you looked at online, that was all rendered using the the Unity gaming engine. So we usually take a CAD file, computer-aided design file, um, and most companies have those for those, for their buildings and for their equipment. Um, we strip it down. We put some colors and textures on it. We, we create something that's pretty photorealistic. Um, and then we combine that with whatever sensor data that are already collecting. Um, and then we also pull in data typically from asset databases, maintenance databases. So if you're not familiar with industrial, you know, you've got sensors reading things like temperature, humidity, pressure. You've also got a database that tells you when the equipment was installed. What, version of the equipment is, when it was maintained, uh, you've got maintenance records, what they actually did when they were doing maintenance. So all of that data is usually sitting in different databases and usually has to be looked up You know, using different interfaces. We pull it all into one place and combine it with this 3D model. Um, so the advantage is that there's a lot, actually. Uh, we keep finding new ones. Um, First, you get all your data in one place and you get your data in a way that's very easy to understand. Um, industrial world, you often have, you know, operators who've been doing the same job for 20, 30 years. You give them an, uh, a, a sort of uh, abstract dashboard. Uh, they're not necessarily going to be very comfortable with it. They're pretty comfortable with something that looks exactly like their machinery, except it's got a bunch of sensor information on it. Um, once you've done that, you know, got that going, then you get into things like online collaboration so uh, an expert sitting in denver can be looking at the uh, what we call it the 3d model we call the digital twins sometimes um the expert in Denver is looking, looking at the digital twin while the guy in north dakota's working on the actual piece of equipment um, and he's seeing exactly what the guy's doing he's seeing the temperature change the pressure change um he's seeing you know potentially the pieces of the equipment moving around um, so he, he can get a lot, uh, he can get a lot done remotely. than normally you'd actually have to travel to. So that's a couple of the type of applications we do more data, remote collaboration, lots of other things as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you were to, I think the the way that I was sort of thinking about it is that if you, uh, let's see, what was that one movie where, um, you kind of, well, there's been a bunch of movies where people would like open up in some sort of VR thing and like move their like hands. And, yeah. Right. Like that. Just, just, just not as evil. (laughs) We're not far away. Yeah. No, we, we do do some stuff from VR, virtual
2: reality. Um, We are looking at things like voice control. So we're not far away from somebody walking into a, a manufacturing plant with an iPad and saying, show me all the pressure readings within 50 feet. And, and, you know, within a few months, probably we'll be able to, we'll be able to have a 3d model of the facility appear on his iPad with those pressure readings on it.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think the thing that's really cool about this that, uh, of course, you know, because of COVID and everything, the whole idea of sort of remote, being able to manipulate things remotely and like having the experience like you're walking through it, but you're not really physically there. Mm-hmm. Boy, what a what a like huge opportunity to kind of figure out how those new kind of workflows or or, or, or you know like. It's it's just interesting because a lot of this industrial stuff, and, and the only reason why I know about this is because when I was at Cyprus, they had this um place called Cyprus Microsystems, or I don't I don't remember the name of it, but um, what they did was they would take Cyprus semiconductor chips, build little boards, and like build like applications that mm-hmm. using all the technology that Cyprus had built. And one of the applications was a camera. With, that would suction cup onto a gauge, like a pressure gauge, like literally an analog gauge, like the old ones you'd see, like a speedometer or something. And they would suck these uh, – they they literally were like suction cups onto these gauges. And then there would be a little camera, would take a picture of it, and then send it back and do stuff. So, mm-hmm. what they were trying to do was get all of those manual gauges to be in the on the internet, basically. Yep, um, yep. And the reason is is that if you've ever walked into an industrial plant <laughs> it's literally like a, imagine the the starship enterprise with just dials and gauges <laughs> like the old exactly. NASA stuff <laughs> and yep. they could never like you know you kind of wonder why you know they would, anyway they had to but so it sounds like this is something similar um is it do you, when it comes to like a like a, a like a an office space, like you mentioned yep. that you want people to sort of see who's going in and out with masks or density or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of sensors do you like, do they have some or do you have to like instrument the place? Or I'm curious because not a lot of folks, like at least a lot of things that I know about have sensors in place already.
2: Um, So modern office buildings typically will. Um, that there, There's some certifications you can get. When you when you put you know what they call smart building technology in around energy um, energy usage, so you, office buildings and lease office buildings typically do have smart technology, mainly because they get more money for the for the lease because the buildings are more energy efficient. Um, so typically they'll already have temperature, humidity. They'll be you know they'll be monitoring the HVACs. Uh, what we're doing right now is more around social distancing. So there we're adding you know typically a camera. Looking at the lobby door, um, which can detect if someone's wearing a mask or not as they come in, uh, and that's not our tech. That's some third-party artificial intelligence that we we are you know we're partnering with. Um, and then the other thing we're, we're adding is um, indoor positioning technology. So when you pick up your visitor badge, it's actually an RF tag, um, and it's it, it's emitting a Bluetooth-like signal. Um, and then with you know two or three sensors per couple of thousand square foot. You can get pretty good accuracy as to where people are, about plus or minus a meter. Um, so once you add that into, you know, your, your overall office management, the, the new stuff we're adding is typically the, the the social distancing stuff, the temperature, humidity stuff's usually already there, uh, and then we we model the whole building as a three D three D model and display all
1: of this stuff in, in a three D environment. And so, like the the people that would use obviously your technology are these building maintenance and the company to make sure they're compliant, or just more efficient operations, or something, or a little bit of both.
2: Um, so typically, they're already, like, like I say, they already have sensors, they already have a control room. Um, the user interface is usually so horrible, though, that they, they they're very badly used. Um, I've got a good architect friend who, who's actually on our board of directors and he he, he tells me stories regularly that, you know, they spent a ton of money installing these smart sensors and then they go back three months later and, and the guy who's running the building is using a clipboard. Um, but certainly they'll, they'll you know, we're using it for, for building efficiency um, and now we're starting to work, especially in the healthcare industry where they've got a lot of people coming in and out um, and obviously some of those people are going to be sick because that's the reason they're going to a healthcare facility. They really want to be able to, you know, enforce masks, enforce uh, measure people's temperature, and then and enforce social distancing. So that's that's kind of an add-on stuff that we're doing for them.
1: Yeah, well, I could definitely see how that could be a big growth area because a lot of a lot of people that I've talked to, when it comes to opening a city up or you know, like just the compliance to the protocol, because um, you know the stuff that we were doing or that we do at Lab is basically compliance to where things are and what their temperature may be. And it's always surprising that they're like, yeah, we got a process. It works. And then literally you can walk around and see, no, you're, you're dependent on people. Mm -hmm. People make mistakes and people will never be as accurate as a system and a process that's automated that all it does is just figure this stuff out. So yeah, I could see this being a big step in helping not only companies, but people feel comfortable, you know, that they're... Yeah, <clears throat> exactly.
2: We we can have a big screen in the lobby that sort of displays what's going on in the whole building if, if they
1: want. Wow, wow. So um, throughout this sort of eclectic journey that you've been on, um, what, what do you sort of do on a daily basis that kind of sets you up for success or like are there any kind of things that just like help you with all this? Because it, you know... We have a tough job, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a roller coaster.
2: I, I mean, that, that's probably the biggest challenge for me is is the emotional. You know, I have a good sales call or a good partnership call or a great technology call, and I'm you know on cloud nine. Then you have a you know a call where it doesn't go so well. The investor doesn't give you the money, um, and you're down in the depths immediately. So that that's probably. The, I think that's pretty common for you know people doing what we're doing. Um, it, it's it's very tough to to manage that. You know, the only thing you can manage is your reaction to it um so i'm i'm kind of into things like yoga um classical guitar playing i actually went and studied classical guitar in paraguay once for about six weeks oh wow I um, did nothing but play classical guitar all day every day which i, I got pretty good at playing the guitar uh, we're well, not that good anymore it, it wears off if you don't keep it up <laughs> um a little bit of sports and activity um not as much as I'd like, because I think one of the other things I, I struggle with is, is putting it down and going, "Hey, it's it's okay to take the weekend off." You know, the thing isn't going to die because you, you didn't sit, and, sit in front of your computer Saturday and Sunday answering emails. Um, so I, I think if I had to give my old, you know, give myself advice two years ago, you know, make sure you do take time off. I'm, I'm much better at it now because things have reached a point where I can relax a little bit. Uh, but yeah, yo- yoga is great because it, it start the day with that. It completely sort of takes the stress out. Uh, I usually break my day up by doing, you know, doing ten minute sessions on the guitar. Um, my wife's been very supportive, although uh, stressed her out a little bit as well doing this whole thing. Oh yeah, uh, but it's uh, you know, it it it's tough. Yeah, if, if you don't like stress, then this is not not the job to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can yeah.
1: Go and do something well paid. Yeah, and or, yeah, and and hopefully, yeah. So yeah, there's. I always say it's like the difference between like, f- you know, freedom and kind of. Well, I don't want to call it money, but like you can get a good corporate job and get paid really well, but then you you don't have freedom, but then you can mm-hmm. have freedom and not get paid very well, at least initially, right? We all hope yeah. that it'll grow and go nutty, but- you
2: know. Yeah, I think once you start to get to that point, then you've got the best of both worlds. And that's kind of where we are now. It's going really well. We've raised money. We've got cash in the bank. We've got customers and I've got the freedom. So <clears throat> three years of hell to get there, but Yeah,
1: yeah. That sounds like you really are uh, getting there. It's, it's great to hear because a lot of times it's tough to have that journey and not see any end result or at least, you know, I mean, it's just the zigs and zags just they can be really hard on people. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm glad to hear that you. So you play classical guitar. Is there like a style of classical guitar? I don't I don't know anything about classical guitar, so I'm just curious.
2: Um, so classical guitar is a style of guitar. So this would be the you know the Segovias, the the, you know, the John Williams, um, the guys who, one foots on a stool. Uh, it's a nylon strung um, acoustic guitar. You play. You have your fingernails are pretty long, so you're you're picking picking the notes. Um, you typically using your fingernails uh, to get some volume and get some articulation on the notes. Um, and then I, I read music at a pretty good standard. Um, so I, I don't want to sound pretentious, but I, I sort of relax or break my day up by sight reading Bach on the classical guitar, um, which is a you know completely different set of your brain to, to doing emails or, you know, sales calls. Um, and it, yeah, really, really sort of mellows me out and just, it, it just gives me something that's intellectually challenging. It's you know, it, it's fun to do. It's great to make progress at it, and it's also the opposite of what you're doing nine to, you know, your nine to five job.
1: Hmm. So, so it's like, do you just schedule like I'm going to do ten minutes, or is it like, oh, I'm so fed up with these stupid emails, I'm just going to like stop, pick the guitar up, and kind of start strumming. Yeah.
2: I, I, yeah. It's, I'm not really strumming very much, Um but it's it's. I find the day goes in natural sort of you know cycles you you finish that big presentation you've been working on for two hours you know you've got to take a break yeah um, sure. so ten 15 minutes of guitar is a good good way to do it um, so I, I don't sort of schedule it but I, I do find that you know you can only concentrate on one thing for so long and, and your your uh, your productivity drops off quite fast if you try and ever do it
1: yeah I found that too I found that too I, I think maybe it's just because I'm getting older too, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but um, there's definitely a natural rhythm to the world. And so are, yep. are, you, are you an early riser or are you just sort of wake up when you wake up?
2: Uh, well, I've got a lot of stuff going on in Europe. So very often we have calls, um, you know, 7 a.m., 8 a.m. And I, and I like to have an hour or so to sort of, you know, wake up, have, do a little bit of yoga if I can, get, get myself ready. So uh, I'm usually up around, you know, fairly early, 6-ish um getting enough sleep i would say is another great big you know really important one and there was a time there where the stress was you know meant you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind's whirring so it's it's great to sort of move on from that phase but yeah pretty early riser usually up around around 6ish hmm. yeah
1: i mean i know some people have like a natural like wake up rhythm. I know some people that they'll work till like two in the morning, and then, you know, they'll get up at, they'll, they'll do software engineering hours, right. They'll get up at 10 or 11. <laughs> yeah. Our, our CTO does an awful
2: lot of work between and sort of, you know, 1am and 4 He seems to be up doing code a lot of the time around then.
1: Yeah. Well, it just depends on your rhythm, you know, the rhythm, mm-hmm. the rhythm of each person, I think is one of the other things that sometimes can be challenging running a company. Have you found that the different work styles? Do you, do you guys kind of mesh with your founders on how, like how you make decisions, how you talk? Is it is it is it just sort of a natural way it fell in, or did you guys have to work at it?
2: Um, it's pretty natural. I, I really like the Apple culture. Uh, I hadn't spent a lot of time around Apple people professionally before this. Um, one of my big hatreds of big companies is too many meetings and too many pointless meetings and meetings that don't go anywhere and just sort of meander around because, hey, we're, we're here, we might as well have a meeting, and it feels like we're doing something. Uh, Apple doesn't do that. You know, a- Apple, if you try and have a, a kind of wishy-washy meeting with, with the Apple guys, they, they'll they they'll, they'll walk out of the room. <laughs> um, so <laughs> they, they've got a very, very direct culture. Uh, I suspect that's one of the reasons the company's been as successful as it's been. I suspect that's why people tend to, you know, 10 years is kind of a typical 10-year at Apple um but yes they they they're very good from that point of view they had to get used to the startup environment you know um they, they were both used to having significant resources around them that they, they just don't have now um and that that was probably their big adjustment was you know this is a startup it's not apple you know we're going to we're going to bootstrap this one way or another um they they've got a very high attention on quality um and that, that's actually worked really really well because although we're a startup what we have put out is very high quality, um, great work ethic. Yeah, so we've I think ninety percent of the time we meshed really well. There's a no bullshit factor. Uh, the biggest challenges were were getting them ad- adapted to the startup environment and and getting me adapted to a very very regimented process driven way of doing things from a, an engineering perspective.
1: Hmm. So so like what what kind of infrastructure were they used to? That I mean I can imagine, but like since it's been a while since I've been at a corporate <laughs> environment, for me, I just think that my life is my life or my, my world's my world. What, what were some of the things that were hard for them to adjust to? Uh,
2: well, typically at Apple, you, you would have one team who would do development um, and then they would throw that over the wall to the Q&A team who would test it. Uh, at the same time, there's another team that's doing all the DevOps, keeping the servers up, standing up. Making sure the actual um, deployment of the software and, and the, the workflow of the software is going smoothly, you know. So just you'd have a, you know you'd have four or five, um, four or five groups working on a product. We we've got one. We've got the guys you know doing development, but they're also kind of doing at least basic tests. And, and as we start to grow, we have to start dividing that up. You know, we're thinking about having a dedicated test group. You know, fairly soon. Um, DevOps, luckily, has, has been mostly automated by the cloud guys. So you can that that used to require somebody whose who's full time job was just keeping servers updated and, and making everything run smoothly. A lot of that now you can you can sort of rely on Amazon or Azure or somebody to do it for you. But it was there was an adjustment there. They had to get used to you know well um, get used to write the code, test the code, deliver the code, make it work. Um, UI is your your job. You know, user interface is your job as well as writing the code. So they just you know they just they, they just didn't have the segregation of responsibilities they had at Apple.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I found that as well. Um, not not so much like when I my first was it the first startup I worked at. I don't remember, but there was there was definitely like the the people that had worked at a big company. We're used to, like, I remember one of them was like, oh, they're just used to, like, someone doing their expense report, right, or something, like, silly like that where you're like, yeah, yep. no, no, we – no, no, you don't have an admin. <laughs> you, you are the admin.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's definitely a challenge, you know. Who books my travel? Uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> Who schedules my meetings? You. Yeah. Who takes the notes at meetings? That would be you.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, or some people, I remember the thing that blew me away was that some people have, you know, if they need to do a slide deck, they have people that do their slide decks for them. And I'm all, Mm -hmm. you mean you don't do your slide decks yourself? So I oh no, no. Who's going to give me the deck? And I'm all, you're going to create the deck. (laughs) No one's giving it to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: But but they've both been good. I mean, they're both real smart people. They're, They're very, you know. So yeah we work really well as a team i think we um you know we we uh we we have regular you know once a week meetings we get together we discuss everything openly um make you know joint decisions on most things obviously some things i have to make the decision on um but yeah no it's it's a it's a great really enjoying a great great group of people to work with it's it's a lot of fun
1: Yeah that's really good i think the most important thing is to have the people you're working with you actually enjoy working with them. Um, a lot of times when that when a, when a startup goes south it's because the founders, co founders have like some conflict. And I think it's usually around like work style and just vision and direction. So sounds like you really nailed that.
2: I yes, when went through the full gamut of that in twenty eleven. We ended up in a a mediation session and in a multi million dollar settlement. Um and it's almost exactly what you just said. It was it was really it all it all began with personality clash.
1: Wow! Wow! What was that? Wh- which company was that? Um,
2: so the company I was at, the big company that uh, um, I moved to the US with, was called Memec, M E M E C. Uh, they were headquartered in San Diego, and then when they got bought, we spanned out uh, a company called Octera because uh, there was eight of us, so we put eight Octera and just put "era" on the end. Um, and without going into gory details, um, the the guy who was the CEO of that probably shouldn't have been the CEO. Um so myself, I went out and raised the money and, and sort of got the whole thing going. And I felt he just squandered that money and I was the guy who had to go and talk to the investors about it. And it, it just, you know. It it we we, we started as good friends in two thousand and five or six and we're in we're in a mediation session in two thousand eleven. And I haven't spoken to him since. I mean, we, we really, you know,
1: it, it got quite, quite bad. Wow. That's a tough one. You, you hate to see and it that cost g- us $4 million. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's even worse. I mean, yeah. money's money, but like losing the relationship or like having it sour over, you know, business stuff is. Uh... Yeah. Uh, but I think you've got to go
2: through one or two of those. I mean, I, you know, you, you run into younger founders who've never had any setbacks and, you know, fingers crossed that'll be their whole career but the reality is most people have setbacks in their you know even in a big company you have setbacks like you described with tj rogers was you know putting the pressure on most people have setbacks and it's really important to be able to deal with those and bounce back from it you know if you sit there blaming the rest of the world for what happened and and chewing on it you know you, you can it can really knock you down for a long period of time
1: yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the the training at Cyprus was invaluable to be an entrepreneur. Because, <laughs> like yes. I said, it's like, <laughs> you know what? I've been yelled at by Better. I've been told I'm an idiot by Better, you know, that actual super smart people that are smarter than this knucklehead across the way that tells me that the reason why he won't invest in my company is he doesn't like the name. You know, it's like, really? Okay, then why yeah. are we here? You know? Um, yep. But, but yeah, I think the, you Because know, it's interesting because I, I do mentor younger entrepreneurs and, you know, of course, they're always looking for advice and who isn't. Like I I have, yep. you know, mentors as well. And I'm sure you do where, you know, the, there's certain things that you don't – certain mistakes you don't want to make. But then there's also some mistakes that, like, I don't think you can avoid making if you're trying to, like, push the envelope a little bit and, you know, try to find mm-hmm. your way in the world, right? So – Yeah, it's just super fascinating that that you had to go through that. I mean, I I had a similar story where someone was basically trying to do a coup in the company and we had to let him go and use a co founder. And it was, it actually was handled quite well um, by a couple of us, which I was super impressed that it didn't go slide down the path to destruction. But it it had all the makings of being that, <laughs> like. Ooh.
2: Yeah, yeah. There there was a badly written contract involved, and you know you could interpret it multiple ways, and yeah, I won't go into it, but it was it was, uh, <clears throat> something and the investors got involved, so you know it wasn't just me and him. It was um, people who had actually put money in the company, you know, and, and they got very emotionally involved anyway. So it, it got it got pretty bad. Uh, we did resolve it in the end, but it, it was it was painful and expensive, and stopped me selling the company for. About a year, actually, I had a a buyer lined up. Um, And, yeah,
1: they heard about, you know, as soon as we exposed this to them, they ran for the hills. Yeah, I can imagine. They don't, no one wants that kind of baggage. No. One wants that kind of baggage. So so do you think within the next, I mean, how do you think your business is going to go in the next six months, you know, after COVID, after we sort of get back to normal? Do you think that there's been some sort of sea change in the way people are going to act and how that may impact what you guys are doing?
2: Uh, that's a good question. We haven't seen a slowdown at all, even even on the non-social distancing technology. We, you know, we're very active in oil and gas right now, and I, I thought that market would just freeze up completely in, in sort of March. Um, rather the opposite. The guys we're working with is like now's the time for us to to accelerate and then come out of the slump with something that's so much better than the competition. You know, we dominate, and and that's pretty much what's happened. I mean, they, they're you know, they're in a very very strong position through adopting our technology in, in, in many different areas of their business. Um, apart from that, when you're on a you know, growth curve that's so steep, it's hard for me to notice if it's slowing down 10%, 15%. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of activity in manufacturing. I think companies are going to have to look at remote maintenance, remote working, not just you know, knowledge workers. They're going to have to look at ways that they can, they can do, instead of sending that maintenance crew out to the site, if you can do 20, 30 percent of the time, that maintenance crew can, can do it remotely through collaboration tools, I think that's going to be more look, looked at more strongly. Um, yeah, tough to say. I just I haven't seen a slowdown. I've seen an acceleration. Obviously social distancing is a whole other new sort of market that's just suddenly fallen on us without us even really looking for it. Um, but we're seeing strong activity in agriculture. We're seeing strong activity in manufacturing. Um, I've got a little bit of medical stuff starting to happen. So um, I can't comment on the, the broader e- economy. I think people will be looking at ways to, to you know, reduce travel and reduce uh, reduce having to work on site. Um, but I actually think the economy is going to rebound pretty strongly from this. We, we didn't destroy an asset class like we did in 2008.
1: Yeah, that's true. It seems that way to me too. It seems that way to me too. I mean, what, what I've, you know – uh, what what I think is wise, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you can have the means is during a crisis building to be ready for when, you know, it really starts to accelerate the, to in the good way, right? And I yep. think it's a great strategy to have. I mean, that's the strategy Intel would have, you know, during a downturn, they'd build factories to be ready to go. And that's why they dominated so much. I mean, even Cyprus did that where during, uh was it the 2000 crash? Yeah. <laughs> they uh they they are like, well, we're just gonna keep building product, you know, keep the factory going. And everyone's like, ah, you know, okay, like maybe this'll work. And I just remember, and you know, to TJ's credit, he I, you know, the guy is hard to work with. Like <laughs> hardest oh yeah, probably one of the hardest bosses I've ever had. And he wasn't even my boss. I was like three levels down from him, but you know, my boss's boss's boss. Is boss, is boss but i would say that you know he was a pretty shrewd guy as well as he's a very like he he would <laughs> he would always give us a hard time during good times and he would always be supportive in the hard time like if it was a hard yeah. time he knew we were working hard cuz he knew like you know he 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 had a heart in that way and he was you know pretty libertarian and pretty you know like all about innovation and all that sort of stuff but um yeah, he, he they were building during 2000 and some of that stuff they were building would, you know, we ended up not selling, but it 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 was like one of those lessons in how to really strategically figure out what to build and knowing that it'll come back. Like like it always comes back. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the world'll be reshaped a little bit. The nature of work will change. Uh, but you know, we've gone through these things before and it's just a question of time before it rebounds to something new. And I think the only thing we have to be more considerate of nowadays is how many people get impacted and affected by it and that, you know, there's people suffering, so we need to figure out how to help them. But yeah, if you're if you're able to build, you need to build now. There's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt. We've got
2: six recs open right now, so uh, yeah, no, we absolutely we're trying to hire as fast. You know, six well, six for us is a lot. That's doubling the teams. So, um, yeah, we're in, we're in a good spot from that
1: point of view. That's great. That's great. And so, uh, is is the team the team you said is all remote? So they all like kind of local or in the Bay Area, or are they just all over the planet?
2: Uh, right now they're all in the Bay Area, except we've got one guy over in the UK who we've we've worked with for a couple of years and is is really great at uh doing embedded software type stuff. So more on the closer to where you're from, the Cypress, you know, Wi-Fi, the, the gateways that talk to the Wi-Fi chips. Um so he's he's very much a one man guy who just does all our embedded work for us. Uh, and then we are building a team. We're not we're not wedded to the Bay Area. Uh obviously the salaries here tend to be higher, but um, we also want to hire, you know, the, the, the best of the best, and without being snobby, the best of the best tend to be in the Silicon Valley. Um, you know, as soon as you get outside of the, of the valley, uh, there's some very good people, but they're not rubbing in the environment enough to to be totally up to the latest technologies. Usually, um, I think we will round the team out with, with some Eastern European engineering. Uh, we do, do we outsource some web development to Argentina because we've, we've got a good team down there, and, and web development is you know, fairly fairly well understood, easy easy to do. Um so yeah, we we've got a real no no real desire to have all the all the guys in one place. We don't have an office and um yeah we all prefer working from home and we'll we'll continue to do that certainly until the the company gets a little bit bigger. Um but I, I think there's good people everywhere but there there is something about the Bay Area and and just the, the the talent you can get here. You know, and a good engineer isn't twice as good as a bad engineer. A good engineer can be five hundred times as good as a bad engineer.
1: Yeah. I oh, don't know, so true. I, I I'm I, the reason why I ask is I'm just curious how the nature of Silicon Valley will change after all of this, you know, work from home. You know, all the big guys, Twitter, Facebook, you know, Uber, I'm sure, I'm sure all these tech companies that are up here and in, in the valley are going to be like, "Hey, you know, work from home or however they're going to do it." I wonder if there will be a like a brain drain from the from the valley or If it'll be like a temporary thing back in like 2008.
2: It's gone in waves. I mean, you you remember uh, 2008 and then 98, 99 during the dot-com boom. I mean, Grass Valley became very popular. Sacramento became very popular. The the problem is it's not really being in an office together. I think that does have a value and is can be important. I think it's the fact you're sort of walking into Starbucks and the guy in front of you is, you know, talking about artificial intelligence and writing code while he's drinking his coffee. I, you know, as you're driving down the freeway, the signs are all about the latest tech. You know, the billboards are all about the latest tech startup. I, th- I think there's, there's, you just by being here, you 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 sort of you know, there's there's a certain amount of it just permeates into your skin without you even
1: wanting it to. Um, <laughs> sort of rubs off.
2: Yeah, and the only other place I've been that, that sort of like it really is Tel Aviv. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that that's very similar, very very compact group of engineers in a very small space in a very sort of high tech environment. I mean, I'm aware that there's there's other Parts of the world that have you know got something similar. Austin, Austin's pretty good as well. I've been to Austin quite a lot, but I, I think I don't think the Bay Area is going to lose its magic. I mean, all of the VCs aren't going to move out of town, um, so they're still going to want to going to have want to have meetings in, in Silicon Valley. Um, I, I think it'll
1: it'll
2: it'll be a brain drain for a period, but I think it'll 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 bounce back.
1: It always has. I mean, yeah, I think that's the other thing. It always has. So I think it's <coughs> hopefully just temporary, or or well. I don't know. Well, house, price, house prices come down a bit, they'll be okay. Yeah. I would be in favor of that for sure. For sure. I would be in favor of that. Have some
2: uh, restaurants that are a little bit cheaper and you know, musicians move back into town. I would be okay with those things.
1: Yeah. A little more art, a little less, you know, a little more culture, a little bit mm-hmm. more back on the culture stuff. So, well. You know, John, it's been great chatting with you. I, I really appreciate, you know, getting to know you and, and talking about your journey. And it's it's nice that we uh, sort of have similar paths and technology and now, you know, decided, well, guess we're unemployable. We just should do our own thing. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks. Stay safe and good luck. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits